And so my, my, my interpretation of this, uh, j- j- just considering all of the information we have, uh, is that the Saints were, prob- were probably in communication with the Raiders about Hunter Renfro. They were going back and forth, working out these fine details about who's going to pay how much of the salary, which it came down to like $2 million was the difference, like 2.1. And they couldn't cut a deal in time uh, bef- before Mark Davis fired everybody. And Mickey Loomis is calling and it's going to voicemail. And and. <laughs> And there's no one picking up the phone in, in Las Vegas. And so that that's why nothing materialized there. So maybe I'm wrong, but just considering all the information available to us, that, that's kind of what it seems happened. Hey there, everyone, and welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here, joined as always by my good friend, John Sigler. This is a Saints Wire podcast powered by the USA Today Network, available wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you subscribing leave a review, tell a friend, all that good stuff. That's how you can support us, and we appreciate you. Hi there, John. How you doing this week? Oh, man, we're doing great. You, you, you know, we're coming off a Saints victory here. Um, a very entertaining NFL trade deadline, and I uh, got to you know enjoy Halloween with the kid a bit, and uh, we're, we're uh, rocking and rolling here talking Saints football. C- cannot complain. No, no complaints here either. It was a fascinating trade deadline, especially with – all these big defensive names moving, kind of rental guys, teams buying in on rental players, the Saints pe- bypassing on that, I guess. They, they decide not to do that. We could talk about that in a moment. It did sound like, if you believe the noise out there, John, that Jameis Winston was a name popping up. A lot of people were talking about Jameis. Would the Vikings go after him? Uh, Vikings fans seemed pretty excited to potentially get Jameis Winston. It obviously did not happen. They ended up with Josh Dobbs. Uh, but I saw on Saints Wire this week that... Hunter Renfro was a real thing. Uh, it just didn't get done. And this is a kind of a crazy story. You want to start there? <laughs> yeah, man, this is wild. We're, we're, we're piecing this together uh, from a couple different reports and from what Mickey Loomis uh, said on WWL radio with Mike Haas on uh, Tuesday night after the deadline. Uh, so let's, let's start with what Mickey Loomis said, because that kind of informs everything else. So L- Loomis said that the Saints were, were n- nothing came to fruition here, but they were looking to be buyers, not sellers at the trade deadline. They had conversations about acquiring uh, a couple of players with a couple of different teams, and ultimately nothing came together. Uh, so that's all we really have, you know, on the record from the Saints' perspective. Um, now, as for Renfro specifically, the, the first thing that came out was from N- NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, and he said that the Saints and, and Raiders got very close to a deal here, but it fell apart about when it came to talking about the financials. Now, the Saints wanted the, the Raiders to pay a big part of Renfro's salary for the, for the remaining 10 weeks uh, in order to facilitate that trade. They could have fit him on the books uh, with, with his contract as it stands. It wouldn't have been very easy. They probably would have had to let someone else go on, on like a, just to open up the room for it. Um, would have opened up a little room afterwards. I mean, that, that would have taken... So it would have cost three point seven million to add him. They're under they're under the cap uh, by like three point eight to four point four, depending on where you look. So they they would have had to make another move, possibly restructure somebody, take out take out some cap space, and and and, and next year to make that work. And and that's something that Mickey Loomis said they didn't want to have to do uh, was dip into the cap in future years right now. So that that all checks out. Um, and th- that's a pretty clean story on its surface. Uh, I- I'm, I'm going to bring in some scuttlebutt here. <laughs> so that's what CBS we're here Sports for. Christina Anderson uh, reports that there were teams actively trading and actively in trade talks with the Raiders uh, who suddenly the lines went dead and they got ghosted. And she, she quotes one source as saying, well, that explains why we got ghosted. Uh, we just stopped hearing from them. 
Uh, that's because any, anyone who could have picked up the phone to talk talk a trade uh, got fired uh, in, on Tuesday by, by, in, with the Raiders. Uh, the head coach got fired. The GM got fired. And it, they just went down the chain of command from there. The OC is out. Uh, they benched Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, like the, Mark Davis is just cleaning house in Oakland or in, in Las Vegas. Excuse me. Well, he cleaned his house in Oakland, too, when he when he quit on it. But that's yeah. neither here nor He basically there. fired um, anyone who had any type of affiliation with the Patriots. He said, all you former <laughs> Patriots, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, he, he sent them all packing. And so my, my, my interpretation of this, uh, j- j- just considering all of the information we have, uh, is that the Saints were, prob- were probably in communication with the Raiders about Hunter Renfro. They were going back and forth, working out these fine details about who's going to pay how much of the salary, which it came down to like $2 million was the difference, like 2.1. And they couldn't cut a deal in time uh, bef- before Mark Davis fired everybody. And Mickey Loomis is calling and it's going to voicemail. And and. <laughs> And there's no one picking up the phone in, in Las Vegas. And so that that's why nothing materialized there. So maybe I'm wrong, but just considering all the information available to us, that, that's kind of what it seems happened. That is crazy. That is just a crazy story and also very believable, especially when you bring in Mark Davis and the Raiders. <laughs> Anything is believable there. Uh, so the fact that they couldn't figure out the final piece, this this like what, $2 million gap or whatever they had, they couldn't figure that out because everyone got fired before and the phone's just left ringing there and Ziegler's gone, the GM. I mean, that is just, that's just too good. That's just too rich. But uh, Renfro on its surface, just the idea of bringing in Renfro, John, I don't hate it. I'm also not like obsessed with the idea. I get that, you know, he was Derek Carr's favorite third down target with the Raiders, right? Back in the day, Renfro had some good years. They called him, what was it, third in Renfro? The Raiders fans used to say third. It's third in Renfro because whatever the third down yardage was, Derek Carr was just going to pick it up with Hunter Renfro. That's how it was. Now, I feel like he's he's taking a step back a little bit. I don't know if he's cashed, but he's just he doesn't seem like he's the same. He doesn't have the same juice he did a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of that is Josh McDaniels um, just being a terrible coach and play caller. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, do, just doing the same stuff he did when he was in Denver. Like, like he never should have had that job to begin with. But. Um, I mean, th- this year specifically, Renfro was working as a decoy. Like, like they were running plays where the ball was never going to go to him. He was never, they were actively not throwing the ball to him, um, so that you know McDaniel's could show how smart he was for having paid uh, was it Jacob- Jacoby Myers from New England? Like, yes. mm-hmm. yeah. So, so he's we're going to win games with my guys and then get myself fired. So, gr- brilliant gambit, sir. <laughs> um, but no, I, I do think Renfro can still play. Um, he had his best years with with, with Derek Carr. Um, he caught 103 passes in 2021. Um, so he, he, he's, uh, yeah, third in Renfro. I, I think he'd be a good fit in New Orleans. So we talked about that over the summer. Um, and, and given how inconsistently the offense has performed, I, I certainly don't think we're too good for Hunter Renfro in New Orleans. Um, you do have to wonder how exactly he would fit with, you know, with Michael Thomas being the split in, Chris Olave uh, in, in the slot, and, and with Rashid Shahid getting into games, uh, you know, it was interesting here against the Colts. Uh, Shahid was, was rotating in and out with Lynn Bowden at, well, on on rushing downs, and it was working really well. Like Bowden can throw can throw his weight around out there. He, he was having some some success. So, wor- working out those fine details, getting getting a vet like Renfro in, that probably would help in the big picture. Um, but as far as like the specifics, like down and distance assignments, it, it, it would be something they would have to work on. So, I, I think they'll be fine this year. But you know. I'll, Ryan, I'll, I'll cash up you five bucks in uh, March uh, if the Saints don't end up signing Renfro when he gets cut by the Raiders anyway. Oh, don't worry. You might he, he, that might happen this season. 
you know, with, 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 with what the Raiders are doing. They, the Saints might get him for nothing. Do you know what they were going to give up? What, what Have they given out any details on what the Saints were going to trade for Renfro? That has not uh, come out. Probably a late round pick. Late, right? I, I would, yeah, I, I would imagine it would be like a late round. It would have to be a late round pick, um, possibly like a conditional pick or something like that. This, this, the Saints had, uh, what was it, two six? They have two six rounders, one coming from Philadelphia and a seventh rounder coming from Denver that they could have traded in this next year's draft. Um, so th- th- they could have gotten it. They probably could have gotten a deal done if they had worked quicker uh but you know mark davis's trigger finger was faster so <laughs> that's such a what a story so yeah so renfro almost in uh it doesn't sound like Jameis winston was really close to getting traded but it depends on no. what report you want no. to listen to yeah no, I'm, yeah well, well well so what mickey loomis uh, acknowledged that a, a little bit uh, on tuesday night with wwl and he said that um you know we, we were we were looking to be buyers not sellers we never had any conversations about trading him away um or well in any of our players is what is what he said. So, yeah, I don't I don't think there was anything there with Winston. There was certainly speculation. Um, you know, there are a bunch of losers paying paying for a check mark on Twitter who who were trying to uh, stir up a story there when there wasn't anything. Um, so, th- th- yeah, there there I don't think there was anything to that story. Uh, and you know, hope, hopefully Winston can help the team in, in his capacity as the backup late, uh, as as the season continues. Yeah. So. I think what one thing that Saints fans are really wondering about, maybe a little hot about after this deadline, John, is if the Saints really wanted to be buyers. Well, why didn't why weren't they buyers like the Seahawks and the 49ers and the Bears? Which <laughs> we can get into the Bears in a little while. What the hell are the Bears doing? Why why are they trading a second round pick for a rental in Montez Sweat? We'll talk about them in a little bit. But you know, Seattle, they paid a big price for Leonard Williams, who has an expiring contract, right? second and fifth round picks to bring in Leonard Williams. He might walk at the end of the year, but that's okay. They're going for a Super Bowl. The 49ers, they didn't overpay in their trade for Chase Young. Actually, we're all I think we're all trying to figure out how Chase Young got traded for only a third round pick uh, when Montez Sweat went for more, but whatever. Uh, the 49ers get Chase Young. Uh, the Saints, decide, I guess, I don't know if they were in on any of these talks, John, but I think the story of this year's trade deadline are these rental players, right? Uh, guys with expiring contracts getting traded for good day two picks coming in and they might end up leaving their new team in the offseason and hitting free agency. Should the Saints have been in on that type of deal or were they right to pass on a move like that? What do you think? Yeah, man, I, I would have understood it because the player the you know, the pass rushers they have have not gotten the job done. They, they rank bottom five in sacks right now and they have missed on multiple early round draft picks. Um, you know, obviously Marcus Davenport didn't work out in New Orleans. Peyton Turner has been hurt too often. He's been healthy scratch too often to be, to be much of a factor. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah Foskey, you know, he had a good game against the Colts. He, he had, had a really nice uh, fumble. They got called back for, you know, the quarterback had, had his too much of his hand on the ball for too long or something, whatever, whatever. He, he was, it was a good rush. Uh, he, he, need, he deserves more snaps. Um, so it, it would have made sense to go get, go get one of these guys. The Saints just didn't have the draft picks to get it done. They did not have, you know, people were saying, oh, man, the, why, why couldn't they trade for Chase Young? Why couldn't they trade a third rounder? Well, they couldn't do that because they sent a third rounder to, to Denver along with Sean Payton. Um, so they don't have a third round pick this year to trade. And that, that wasn't going to happen. They don't have a fourth rounder this year either. So unless you're saying they should have given up that second rounder coming back from Denver, uh, for, for a player who ultimately got traded for a compensatory third round pick, you know, probably the 101st overall pick. Um, 
it, that wasn't going to happen. That's not realistic. And we can say, oh, well, what about their picks in, in 2025? Man, nobody, no, no, nobody wants a 2025 draft pick, right? Nobody wants a draft pick two years from now, uh, right now. That, that's just not how this works. Uh, the, nothing is guaranteed in this league. The, the GMs trading right now know they might, they might not be here in two years. Like that, that that's not going to happen. Um, whenever those picks two or three years ahead get traded, it, it's for, it's an afterthought. It's not something being like, oh man, this is going to really change the, you know, the outlook for our team that, 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 no, no, that, that that's not really worth anything. So it would have been nice. Uh, Montez Sweat probably would have been a good pickup, but, but again, you, you would have to give up, you know, that second rounder coming back from Denver to get him. And the Saints are really banking on that being an, a valuable pick, so they can add a, you know another young player on a rookie contract who can make a big impact. So I, I understand why they why they stood pat. I think it probably was the right decision. I mean, we spent all of last season, you know, torching this team for trading that first rounder that ultimately ended up at tenth overall. How, how can we turn around and then say, well, why didn't you trade any picks? You, you, you know, you, they could just as easily you know have the bottom fall out and be picking you know tenth or eleventh again this this year. So. I was fine. After looking at all the moves, I was fine with them standing pat. It would have been cool to add something, but I'm not going to complain for, you know, a somewhat boring trade deadline from the Saints perspective. Yeah, sure. No, I, I hear that. And maybe they're boring because they feel pretty good about the group they have. Right. And maybe they just feel like they got to play and coach it up a little bit better. I mean, we, we have seen the team play better football the last couple of weeks. Right, John? Um, offensively, at least they've put up 62 points in their last two games. Um, so the offense is definitely something's clicking a little bit better on that side of the ball. Derek Carr was, would you say that game against Indianapolis was his best game as a saint? Cause I think you, you could make the argument. Yeah. But the, to me, the, the, this game was the most, you know, impressive win by the saints this year. And that, that's after they knocked your Patriots down 34. Like, 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 and, and <laughs> that I wasn't say, that impressive. I that, yeah. I say that not, 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 not to, uh, you know, take a passing shot at you, but, but, consider the opponent here. Yeah, right. This is a good Colts team that has a talented defense, you know, has a lot to work with offensively, has a good coach, has a very good coaching staff that's actively trying to win this football game. Who and and the Saints came back from a 10-point deficit to knock him off. Like in a large part of that was Carr finally played well. He was finally hitting his throws, reading the field, and you know, playing like, you know, a starting quarterback ought to, which we didn't see often enough from him through the first 7 games. So yeah, this is probably. I, I was more impressed by this Colts win than anything else the team has done this season. What do you think has made the Saints feel a little less boring on offense, John, and a little more explosive? Right? I mean, is it getting Taysom Hill more involved? Is that it? Is it as simple as that, uh, or is there anything else that they have unlocked over the last you know few quarters? You know, six, seven, yeah. eight quarters. Yeah. So it's not as simple as you know. We just need Taysom Hill to run seven times, and, and, we, and we're fifteen and one when he does that, or whatever whatever the, the the record is. Yeah, it's not that simple. You know, you're not going to win just because your first seven plays of the game are all you know Taysom Hill rushing attempts. Um, but he is, you know, he is a, a playmaker in this offense. He is a reliable player for for the Saints. He has a very high success rate as as a runner and receiver and passer, and he should be involved offensively. Like like there, he's he's a unique talent in that regard. But overall, it's execution. You know, it's guys doing a better job executing their assignments. It's Carr doing a better job placing the football uh, so that AK can catch it in stride and then force a couple of defenders to miss and, and fall into the end zone. Um, it's Rashid Shahid getting open. You, you know, okay, th- this is a this was a pretty cool stat here. 
So Shahid had his lowest snap count of the season in this game. He was only on the field for 18 plays, uh, but and he was only targeted three times. But he caught all three of those passes for like 153 yards. Um, he, he was he, he he was really making the most of his opportunities. Efficiency. Here. Yeah, extremely efficient. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, you know, the offensive line was doing a good job making guys move and op- opening running lanes and it really comes down to, you know, execution. And, and the Saints offense did a much better job uh, th- this week of ex- executing their plays. Pete Carmichael called a great game. He, he, he was cooking on, on some of those angle routes for Kamara mm-hmm. and some and the ways that he was getting the ball to Taysom Hill in this game. Um, Pete, Pete Carmichael, you, you know, I, I've dogged on him a lot this season, uh, but he called a great game and the Saints did a great job executing the plays that he was calling. So hopefully they can keep it up. Yeah, no, I, I think it's looked better, and, and the Bears are a good opponent to get on your schedule when you want to keep it up. We'll talk about that game here coming up in a moment. But before we head on to that next segment, John, we talked last week, I believe. a little. I was a little worried about the Saints, that they were just kind of feasting on some of the worst quarterbacks in the league over that early dominant stretch they had to start the season. Now, and then we saw them kind of get leveled out a little bit against Jacksonville, and we were like, all right, well, let's let's see how it looks. Well, they have been struggling with slow starts the last couple of games, right? They've given up 58 points now in the last two weeks, 30, 37 of those points in the first half. So are you seeing anything that's concerning you on that side of the ball? Do they just have to start on time? Or are they just, is the balance of power, they're seeing a little bit better offenses and quarterbacks. So maybe that is starting to level itself out a little bit. The water is reaching its level. What, are you concerned at all about the defensive side of the football? A little bit. I, I think the run defense got overrated a bit to start this season. Uh, we we know we knew that was an issue last year. They 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 worked really hard in the off season to overhaul it. That they, they you know brought in all these new defensive tackles and they they shifted up the coaching staff a bit. And that, that was a real point of emphasis. And it seemed like it was working well to start the season. You, you know they contained Derrick Henry well, uh, but then you go and look at it, and I don't believe they faced a single you know top twenty rushing offense until they went to Indianapolis and then they got gashed by Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss and, you know, moved, moved around by what I think of as a very effective uh, Colts offensive line, um, even down a starter with Braden Smith being injured this week. Um, so that is something I'm worried about. Uh, to, to me, that's the biggest issue going against uh, the bears this Sunday is the run defense. Uh, can they contain what has been one of the most explosive uh, rushing offenses in the league? Um, Obviously, Justin Fields is, is a different challenge than most quarterbacks when he's available, but he's not going to be starting, which we'll, we'll talk about that more in a bit. Um, but they've got to show better discipline here. You know, you, you can't have Tyron Matthew missing a tackle at the second level, and then it's 43 yards later until until the, the running back goes down. That, that can't happen. Um, hopefully, they can clean that up in practice this week, but th- that, that is something that concerns me, yeah. Yeah, and let, let's get to those Chicago Bears here. Uh, and. Here coming up next, we'll break that one down. First, let's get some fantasy advice for week nine from thehuddle.com. I'm Corey Bonini of thehuddle.com here to bring you fantasy football strong plays for week nine. Quarterback Dak Prescott, Dallas Cowboys at Philadelphia Eagles. Coming off the bye, Prescott enjoyed the best game of his season, passing for 304 yards and four touchdowns. He threw just six TDs in the prior six games. He also lit up Philly last year for 347 yards and three touchdowns. And the Eagles just allowed Sam Howell to throw for nearly 400 yards and four scores of his own. There's plenty of potential versus a Philadelphia secondary that just hasn't been the same since Jonathan Gannon left to become Arizona's head coach. Running back Royce Freeman, Los Angeles Rams at Green Bay Packers. 
Freeman is on the upswing here, even with Daryl Henderson seeing the majority of reps over the last two games. He just scored once on the ground in alternating contests, but Freeman has been much more efficient, and that could work in his favor to garner more touches this week. Green Bay has been trampled by running backs on the ground, and that's where Freeman could be a sly play in fantasy. However, he is a little bit of a risky play in any format. Roll with Royce only in the moment of desperation. Wide receiver Deontay Johnson, Pittsburgh Steelers versus Tennessee Titans. Johnson caught five passes for 79 yards in his week seven return, and he followed it up with 85 yards on eight grabs last Sunday, both of which easily led the club. His touchdown drought has reached 21 games, but his high involvement since returning from IR gives him decent wide receiver three appeal. Tennessee has given up the fourth most PPR points per game to the position, and most of that is due to volume. Tight end Hunter Henry, New England Patriots versus Washington Commanders. Henry's wasteland of a season continues on. He has not topped 9.1 PPR points or scored since week two, and the former Charger has no more than three targets in any game in the last month of play. All of that could change since Washington has been abysmal versus the position. This matchup rates in the top eight for receptions and yardage per game, as well as ease of touchdowns in relation to catches allowed. If you need to cover a bye, the matchup is well worth the risk. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, we're back. The Saints now at 4-4, four and four, um, hosting the Chicago Bears. John, you teased it earlier. They're not going to be facing Justin Fields, which is a, a whole other animal when you're dealing with this running attack the Bears do have. Justin Fields, uh, scary when he runs with the football, I think. Less scary when he throws it, but more scary when he runs around. Um, instead, it's going to be undrafted rookie quarterback Tyson Bajant. He's going to make his third straight start. Uh, he won his first career start, but and, ev- and then it sounded like everybody was anointing him. I think people were creating quarterback controversies, John, right? It was going to be this Tyson Bajant. Oh, undrafted rookie, played his ball in Division II, uh, and now he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Bears, blow Justin Fields out of town. Here we go. Uh, no, it came crashing down to earth a little bit against the Chargers this past week. Didn't look very good out there. Uh, but what is interesting is it felt like Fields, you would think that he would have been trending towards playing in this game, right, John? I mean, he had the thumb injury. He's been out. They didn't put him on IR. They've been calling him week to week. He's been on the practice report as, you know, questionable, doubtful, whatever. And But usually he gets, you know, he's not practicing. He's been getting DNPs in the injury report, whatever. But usually the Bears have been waiting till Friday or Saturday to rule him out. Now, Matt Eberflus ruled him out on Monday. So that is a little strange. Did he have a setback? I haven't heard of a setback. So I don't know if there's anything that's a conspiracy theory here. I'm trying to figure it out, John. I don't have a great take yet. I don't have a great conspiracy theory cooked up. But something weird's going on with this quarterback room with the Bears because they already announced Bajan as the starter. So it sounds like Fields, uh, man, that thumb must be bad or it must be something else going on. But what do you what do you think about the Saints going? They should be able to feast against this bad Bears team with this quarterback, this this young kid playing quarterback, right? Oh yeah, you you know the, the Saints should should. Look, this is a game they should win. You know, another favor to win. Uh, but you, you just look at the situation. You you look at them starting an inexperienced uh, backup QB. Uh, they're kind of limited offensively with the weapons. Um, man, like th- this is a game the Saints should run away with. It, it's it's at home in front of in front of a, a, a good crowd. Um, it, it, it's kind of a referendum on Dennis Allen if he can't win this football game. Like he, he, you have everything you need on offensively for the Saints. You know, everybody should be available here. Uh, the only starter we're really kind of waiting to see about w- w- would be James Hurst uh, along the offensive line. Like every, everything else should be here. Uh, you have all your running backs. You have all your receivers, your tight ends. You know, Derek Carr's coming off to his best game in a Saints uniform. 
um, they, they should run away with a win here. If, if they don't, um, it's it, like I said, it's a referendum on DA. Like, like what did he do wrong in pre- not preparing this team to, to, to win this game against one of the worst teams in the league? So uh, I'm not too worried about that, about, uh, you know, uh, Tyson Bajent. Um, I, I would like to see him get intercepted a couple times like the Chargers did. Uh, the Saints pass defense, they, they, they should be able to take care of him. No, 100%. Yeah, because Bajan came in, Fields got injured in the game against the Vikings a, a few weeks ago. Bajan came in, he immediately had a fumble six, but he settled down and uh, he played okay. The Bears lost that game. Then he played, he hosted, or, or I'm sorry, he was at home against Vegas. We were just talking about Vegas, that freaking dumpster fire over there. So that was the game he won at home and then he played this road game against the Chargers and it wasn't good road game against the Saints now you're this is going to be his first time really dealing with crowd noise as well John right so that's gonna be a whole other animal for this kid I just can't imagine he's ready for this I I I've ranted about this over the last few weeks on uh we do a show like this for the Bears wire as well and I've I've ranted about Tyson Bajan being there there he was their number two quarterback coming into the season he won the job they had PJ Walker in camp and they decided that Tyson Bajant was the right guy to have behind Justin Fields. It's like, okay. So Justin Fields is basically coaching this young kid along where he's still trying to figure it out himself. It's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. This kid, uh, I think he's getting set up. He, he's getting put in a tough spot going into the Superdome here with all that crowd noise. It's going to be rough. I, I find this to be a great spot for the Saints. Uh, it's a seven-point spread, I believe. I don't know if that line has moved at all with the news that Bajant is going to indeed be the starter, but... I think it opened at seven. Saints minus seven, John, by a touchdown. You think they win this one by more than a touchdown? What's your prediction here? I think that's I think that's appropriate. You know, the Bears' defense kind of has been the strength of their team, um, and they just added they just added Montez Sweat, so they're, so they're going to be a you know pretty challenging opponent defensively. And the Saints' offense could fall back to earth a little bit. Um, but, but no, I, I like that. I like the Saints to win. I like that margin. I think I'll take it. Yeah, me too. I, li- I like the Saints to win big here um, and get above 500, and then we're off and running. So there's the prediction. Saints-Bears, not much to say there. The Bears are a terrible football team. If the Saints don't have their way with them, John, we'll be ripping them next week. We're on the show. That's just that's just the world of doing a weekly podcast. But uh, what should fans be checking out on Saints Wire leading off? up to kickoff. You had an interesting article post this week about uh, father time. Will father time catch up with the saints? They are the oldest team in the NFL. That's been a kind of an interesting talking point um, with the saints. Anything folks should be looking for um, leading up to kickoff and beyond. Yeah, man, that's something that's kind of caught my eyes. Everybody's like, Oh man, you know, the whole team is, is uh, they're all in in their late thirties and they're, they're stuck with these guys and they're all bums and they can't do anything. And it's like, no man, like, like, this stat really caught my eye. Like, yes, the Saints are the oldest team in the league right now by 10 months. Like, it's less than a year separating uh, the 32nd ranked team from 15 and 16. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's really overblown. And I kind of got into that in the article. Like, okay, let's look at all these guys who are 30 and over, how often they're actually playing, and what what are the uh, the replacement plans for them. Like, that that was something that – that I put a bit of research into early, early this week. So yeah, we're, we're breaking that down. We're looking at, at this bears game coming up, looking at the schedule after that, uh, the bye week is coming up quick and hopefully the saints have a six and four record when they get, go into that. Anything less is going to be a big disappointment and you'll, you'll hear all about it. at saints wire. 
100%. We'll be here as well, breaking it all down. So for John Sigler, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Again, the Saints Wire's got you covered up until kickoff and beyond. And in terms of the podcast, we appreciate you joining us. As always, subscribe, tell a friend, all that good stuff. We will catch you next week. Thank you.